KUCI Middle Earth Elf. <clears throat> you are listening to KUCI in Irvine 88.9 FM, Orange County's alternative radio station, and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? <clears throat> Broadcasting from UC Irvine, Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Today we have a very special edition of the show. Two hours long with an equally or actually maybe even more so, more special, special guest calling in the second half of the second hour. Max McLean, the producer, producer and star of the stage production The Screwtape Letters, which is returning again <clears throat> by popular demand to Barclay Theatre which is right here on the campus of UC Irvine, and we will be giving away a pair of tickets later in the show when Max is here. So that music that you are hearing in the background is indeed the Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore, <clears throat> music from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and of course we know those of us who are crazy about all things Middle Earth, movies and books, are greatly looking forward to the Howard Shore music for The Hobbit movies. First one coming out this coming December. And days like today, I most certainly miss my dear Hobbit co-host, who is still off on other adventures for a while. <clears throat> so he will not be joining us today, but our thoughts and prayers, my thoughts and prayers are with him wherever he adventures. And uh, as an elf who most certainly never loses hope, I do not lose hope that one day he will be back with us with that amazing Hobbit voice and his um, Hobbit enthusiasm and great knowledge to let us know about what's going on with the movie. So I have kind of... Um, lapsed back into <laughs> the no-stealer mode uh, that I was in with the Lord of the Rings movies. And um, I haven't visited Torn lately to see if there's any new, you know, earth-shaking news. There quite possibly is, and if The Hobbit was here, he would tell us all about it. <clears throat> but I am mostly content to just kind of wait 
I watch the trailer every once in a while just to reignite my interest um, in anticipation of what is to come on the big screen without having to have too many spoilers. But I mostly just want to wait and see what shows up. In fact, I'm not even rereading The Hobbit books right now because I don't want to compare what's in the books with what's in the movies. So I'll just reread them afterward, right? Reread it afterwards, um, as I did with Lord of the Rings. Although I did read The Hobbit once long time ago. So in case you are just tuning in, this is What Would Arwen Do? And I am Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. Been here <clears throat> about six years now. Welcome and my govanin, and to all my elf friends who may be listening here in Southern California, perhaps an extended Southern California row, maybe down in Escondido. And to my friends listening online, still listening from back east while she's uh, working on her sewing project, Gwen Elf from my favorite message board on the planet, theonering.com, or affectionately known as Torque, and Vana, uh, the delightful elf princess from the Northwest, may be listening in from up in Washington. And if she is, uh, Sui lied to you, my dear elf princess, sister of the heart. And to anyone else, I know uh, a... Uh, pretty amazing elfish kind of guy who listens in once in a while so John Paul in case you're listening in blessings to you today and greetings and um, yeah so I'm excited I have some things we are having a two-hour show today the show that normally runs during the second hour 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific time is a blue and gold report and they're taking a little time off for the summer, so for the next three weeks, it will be me <laughs> here for um, two hours. And next week, I'm very excited because I will have a, a very special guest, a gentleman I've been trying to get on the show now for several, several months. Uh, his name is Ron Fernandez, and he makes and imports and plays and teaches uh, all kinds of musical instruments, especially from foreign countries. He's going to bring some ukuleles and some Spanish and Portuguese guitars, I think, and some other instruments that I don't even know how to pronounce the names of. And so we are going to have, and we're going to talk about uh, music and its effect on us and the physics. He's actually doing a lecture today uh, here somewhere on the campus of UC Irvine on the physics of music. And, um, but just how music affects our brain. Of course, we elves, you know, we're pretty much in tune with that. And, uh, of course, we see music woven so deeply into all the tales of Middle Earth. So, very exciting. That will be next Tuesday, the first Tuesday of June, right here on What Would Arwen Do? KUCI 88.9 FM. And to my dear Hobbit co-host Milo Lomsdown. Blessings wherever you are, dear friend, and hopefully, maybe he might even be able to call in at, for just to say hello, hello or something in, for the next two shows because I am going to give you a little heads up that the elf is going to be taking a little break for this summer from doing the show. So uh, partly just um, 
some things that I need to take care of, some adventures I need to go on um, that hopefully will result in some good things for the shows com- show coming back in the fall. Um, but rather than take several, you know, time off uh, for time that I need to be away, I am going to take uh, the quarter off. And I'm also hoping that if The Hobbit can't come back, that I can find someone who might like to come in and be involved with the show, possibly as a co-host or even just as a helper. Um, I found that it's really bit more than just one elf can do these days so and I think I got very spoiled having um, the hobbit here both to um, talk on the air with so you didn't have to hear my voice the entire time and a, an hobbit perspective on things which you know is always great in addition to an elvish perspective so <clears throat> we'll have two more shows and then I will hopefully see you in the fall. But all of the shows will be available on podcast. So in case you are tuning in and listening to the first part of today's show, the second part will be up um, with today's date, May 28th, I believe, 2012, as part two. This is part one. And you can find podcasts of these shows through iTunes and also through our website, KUCI.org. Just go to archives, scroll down to podcasts, and you can find podcasts of almost all of the public affairs programming here at KUCI. And we have public affairs talk shows that you won't hear anywhere else. So in case you are tuning in for the first time and wondering what in the world is this all about, this what would Arwen do? Well, if a Middle-earth elf lived today in Southern California... In Irvine, to be more precise, what might her life look like? How would she, as a modern elf, celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Things the elves care deeply about. Some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? And that is a very good question. But on this program, when challenges in life arise, or as the wizard Gandalf said to Frodo, questions... Questions that need answering, I like to ask, well, what would Arwen do? And who was Arwen, you may be wondering. In J.R.R. Tolkien's Mythology of Middle-Earth, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and the lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light, a beloved daughter of the universe like all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth or in elvish Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. In Arwen we see courage, wisdom, beauty, a sense of humor and gaiety and service to others. So my hope is that you will be inspired to deeds of courage and daring and perhaps inspired to try some adventures to find that part of you that is uh, creative, perhaps even musical or artistic, and engage it because I believe that not only will your life be enriched by um, engaging your creativity in whatever that area that may be. Maybe it's uh, maybe you're really good with math and you're really good at counting or maybe you're good at planting a little 
pot of beautiful flowers or maybe making a great batch of cookies or maybe you know how to draw something pretty or maybe you know how to have fun with children or you know how to interact with animals. Um, Find something that makes your heart sing and do it, I hope. Um, So I'm going to play a little music because even though the Hobbit is not here, I am celebrating always the coming of the Hobbit movies in December 2012. So with that, let's take a little musical interlude and hear an extract from the two-minute trailer that came out last December. And this is the dwarves singing a song with lyrics straight from The Hobbit and the Misty Mountains Cold. And here is a little musical offering, again, music composed by Howard Shore, the music that will be coming with the Hobbit. This is QCI in Irvine. Far over the misty mountains cold Two dungeons deep and caverns old And that is music from the trailer to the Hobbit movies. Yes, there will be two. First one coming out in December. Of course, there are some wonderful movies out right now. I love movies, and I especially love any movies about heroes and the hero's quest and about people overcoming adversity and danger and mustering courage and finding something within themselves that allows them to be more than they thought. These are the movies that I love and that fuel my soul and I've seen several of late the Hunger Games and the Avengers loved them both saw the Avengers in 3D was intending to just see it regular on the regular screen but when I got there that was sold out and the only thing that was available was in 3D and I was actually really glad <laughs> afterwards that I did see it in 3D because it I was on the edge of my seat almost the whole time. And a wonderful movie about um, rallying good in the forces in the face of evil, and which is one of the reasons why I fell in love with The Lord of the Rings. So many characters um, finding within themselves something more than they thought um, and contributing to the welfare of many rising to the occasion, um, very archetypal characters in Lord of the Rings and in many movies. And The Hunger Games I loved. Um, It was very interesting because sometimes after I saw it, I hadn't been to (laughs) one of the local really kind of a little bit over-the-top shopping centers Two come to mind, South Coast Plaza here in Southern California and Fashion Island sometime. And after, right after seeing the movie, I was kind of wandered over to uh, Fashion Island and kind of looked around at all of the, because here we are in the heart of Newport Beach and everybody has big expensive cars and, uh, you know, Gucci bags and Everybody, you know, a lot of people just looked like they stepped right out of a fashion magazine. Not yours truly. I'm really more of the kind of earthy, organic type. Um, but I thought, wow, this kind of reminds me of the district. <laughs> it was just kind of not quite that over the top. But um, 
Anyway, interesting themes in the Hunger Games and, of course, our obsession with uh, reality shows. At what lengths will we go to be entertained by people in what we call, quote, reality situations, which are generally probably not too close to actual reality for very many people. But anyway, loved the Hunger Games. Love the archers. Hello to Roe down in Escondido. And especially uh, special hello and congratulations to her. Her archery business is exploding down there in uh, Escondido. She has three classes through the Parks and Recreation uh, Department on Saturday mornings. And they're all full. And it's about two-thirds kids, two to, two-thirds to three-quarters kids. Uh, and the rest adults, and so it's really great to see these kids uh, learning, you know, to pull a bow and arrow, and it's a very interesting sport. I was talking to one of the fathers of one of the children, uh, one of the little boys, who was really into it and really trying to pay attention and focus, but he was having a hard time because he was all kind of squirmy, and the father said that um, his son was real excited to do this and that he was excited about it because his son had tried some other sports and you know just had a hard time with you know some of the group sports and he's hoping that maybe he can uh, develop some focus and concentration and that he and his son could do this together so it would be a bonding experience for them so I was so excited and that was like week two week five I went back down for a visit and got to um go and help uh, Rose set up, wasn't able to stay for all three classes, but was able to stay for the first one and got to see this young um, young boy again. And it was amazing how in just two weeks between my seeing him, he was so focused. He was paying attention. He was not pulling his arrow out of the quiver before. He was very paying attention to the uh, teacher and he was shooting really well. He was so excited and they were on little teams and I just thought, oh my gosh, what a difference in this young man. He was about seven or eight in just uh, five weeks of uh, shooting a bow and arrow for an hour. And uh, so it was very exciting and I want to say blessings to my friend Roe for sharing this amazing sport and discipline with people down in the Escondido area. Hopefully it will come. There is a wonderful uh, place up here in Orange County called Orange County Archery. There's one on Brooker Street in Fallon Valley, and I just there's another location on Harbor, little two-lane um, shooting uh, area, with, and you can get private lessons uh, on Harbor in uh, Costa Mesa as well. I had a private lesson over there, actually right after I came back from seeing Roe on uh, that Monday morning, and it was pretty amazing with Scott Clark. So if you're interested in that, I'm hoping to have Scott on the programs at some point, uh, hopefully in the fall, to talk about archery in Orange County and ways that you can get involved. Of course, the movie Brave will be coming out on June 22nd, and that's all about little girl who wants to be an archer, uh, preferably to being a princess, to which I say, why can't we be both, (laughs) archer and princess? So this is KUCI in Irvine. I am Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. This is What Would Arwen Do? And I'd like to, um, I have some things, well, Max McLean uh, is going to be on the second hour. We're having an interview with him, who is the director and star of the um, just 
sold-out performances of the screw tape letters, so I wanted to share a little bit about the relationship between C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. First, uh, I'm going to play a little music for you and show you with you because it's amazing how many uh, theatrical productions are uh, are available to us right now here in Southern California. Hopefully, many of you are having the same. Uh, situation where you live in other parts of uh, the U.S. and Canada and even in Europe. But we have uh, two other things that are going on and I'm going to play some music from one of them. So one thing that's happening, okay, where's my little list? Oh, how I missed the Hobbit. Okay, here we are. Um, at the Maverick Theater in Fullerton, uh, the website www.maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K, Theater, T-H-E-A-T-E-R.com, mavericktheater.com. The Hobbit is playing there uh, June 1st through July 14th, Fridays at 8 p.m., Saturdays at 3 and 8 p.m. This is directed by Nathan McCarrick. The Hobbit saw it, loved it. I believe he's going back. I have not had an opportunity to see it. Hopefully, uh, maybe I can find someone who wants to run out to Fullerton for a little um, Middle Earth adventure before the play is uh, finished running. But you can find information on their website, www.mavericktheater.com, theatrical production of The Hobbit with music and all kinds of wonderful things. This is not a comedy. This is, uh, this is actual, you know, the real, just the regular Hobbit brought to the stage. On another hand, though, is a comedy, (laughs) Fellowship the Musical, which is full of laughs. I was very privileged to get to see this. It's up in L.A. again at Trepany House at the Steve Allen Theater, Fellowship the Musical. It is a parody of the Fellowship of the Ring and... Um, way over the top. A lot of the original cast, when I first saw it uh, years ago, do I even? Uh, on, I wonder if on their CD they wrote the year. I think it was like two thousand five, uh, six or seven. Anyway, I got a CD. All songs two thousand four, um, and I got a CD from the original cast recording. And I'm going to play a little something for you. Actually, two things. One, um, this is, I love this. This is the Galadriel Explains It All. So for those of us who loved the Lord of the Rings movies um, and loved the prologue where Galadriel, you know, Yama Prestaline, the world is changed and gives us about, I don't remember, that's probably about 12 to 15 minutes long. And we see the... Battle of the Last Alliance of Men and Elves, where the ring is cut from Sauron's hand. Wonderful. I have it all memorized. Yes, in fact, I do. But this is a parody of the Fellowship. So we have the the um, musical parody of the Fellowship of the Ring, Fellowship, version of Galadriel Explains It All. So let's hear what Galadriel has to say to introduce... Fellowship the Musical. This is KCI in Irvine. 
The world is changing. I hear it in the trees. I feel it in the water. I smell it in the air. It began with the forging of the great rings. Three were given to the elves, immortal, wisest and fairest of all beings. By the by, I'm one of them, you know. One of the wisest, fairest, most intelligent of all beings. In fact, I am the queen of the wisest, the fairest, the most intelligent. Anywho, seven were given to the dwarf lords. They are little, swarthy people. Unlike the elves, the wisest, fairest, the most intelligent, of which I am the queen... For I take up my attire, I go to see just what there is to eat. Mm-hmm. And my gabber's standing there, and I stammer and I stare when I see that she's prepared my favorite meat. Now when the meeting course is done, then the feasting has begun, and like a little piggy I will squeal. It's a chewy comic chomp, it's a gastronomic romp, and bees are just hors d'oeuvres before the meal. music from the original cast recording of Fellowship, the musical parody of The Fellowship of the Ring, which is indeed playing right now up in L.A. at Trepany House at the Steve Allen Theater on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. Friday evenings through the end of June, Saturday evening performances this weekend, July 2nd, and next weekend, I'm sorry, June 2nd, and next weekend, June 9th. Otherwise, Fridays evenings through the end of June, you can find out more on their website, www.fellowshipthemusical.com. It is hilarious. It is rousing fun. It's a great night out. So I hope you will have an opportunity to see the musical parody of The Fellowship of the Ring. And you may be wondering, oh my gosh, what is this? What is this um, (laughs) Tolkien blasphemy? Tolkien would never go for this. Well, I'm not so sure. I want to read for, for you just a small quote of from the professor himself from a letter he wrote in 1951 to Walt uh, Milton Waldman, uh, who had asked for, as J.R.R. Tolkien calls it, he says, you asked for a brief sketch of my stuff that is connected with my imaginary world. And at one point he says to Milton, do not laugh, but once upon a time, my crest has long since fallen, I had a mind to make a body of more or less connected legend, ranging from the large and cosmogonic to the level of romantic fairy story, the larger founded on the lesser in contact with the earth, the lesser drawing splendor from the vast backcloths, which I could dedicate simply to, to England, to my country. He goes on to say, I would draw some of the great tales in fullness and leave many only placed in the scheme and sketched. The cycles should be linked to a majestic whole and yet leave scope for other minds and hands wielding paint and music and drama. 
And indeed, we do have other hands and minds wielding paint and music and drama with both the Hobbit play uh, right now, um, or starting soon, uh, June 1st, in Fullerton, www.mavericktheater.com, and Fellowship the Musical Parody of uh, Fellowship of the Ring up in L.A. right now, and their website, fellowshipthemusic.com. And coming up in July, right here on the campus of UC Irvine at the Barclay Theater, June 12th through June 15th, the Screwtape Letters, ScrewtapeOnStage.com. And coming up in the second hour of this special edition of What Would Arwen Do? At 5.30 p.m., we will have an interview with Max McLean, the director, artistic director, and star of this stage production of the Screwtape Letters. So I hope you'll stay with us for that. And let's see. So what's the connection between J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis? Many of you are very aware of the friendship between those two. Those of you who, like me, um, <clears throat> just love <laughs> all things Tolkien and whose lives have been changed as a result of your interaction with the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, as mine were. These, uh, these came into my life at a time that, at the time I did not know, it was just before uh, something of, of an upheaval, but at the time I was struggling, struggling a bit with my Christian faith. It was right after, you may remember, that Fellowship of the Ring came out right after... 9-11 in 2001, and I think all of us were kind of reeling and going, you know, what happened, and what does this mean, and, you know, um, to actually have something like this happen on our own soil, and how do we respond to it, and I was struggling partly from the response I was seeing from some of my Christian friends who felt like we need to just go and blow those people up. And I just thought, mm, I'm not so sure that's exactly what Jesus would advocate. Um, so it was an interesting time for me and um, some challenges in my own personal life. My husband's job had just gone away that he had had for like 14 years, and he was trying to figure out, was he going to retire? How were we going to have income? Because he had been a contractor for all that time. And <clears throat> and I thought, well, maybe we'll move away. Maybe we'll move out of the Shire and, uh, you know, go on an, an adventure. And um, then... Not realizing that in just a couple of years, my own marriage would be going away and I would be off on a different adventure, one that I never anticipated um, would happen. But that's often the way it is with adventures that show up. So for this hour, I want to play... Um, well, I'm going to read a little bit when I first saw the movie and fell in love with Arwen, <laughs> and because in her, uh, you know, I hadn't read the books, but here up on the screen, you know, here was Frodo. He was dying, and they were looking for Athelus to try to heal him, and 
Aragorn saying it's beyond his abilities and up shows Arwen and puts a little sword to Aragorn's neck and says, what's this? A ranger caught off his guard. And um, then, of course, we see the whole scene where she comes. She sees Frodo. She says he needs to get to her father right away. She convinces Aragorn she's the faster rider. And, of course, they all know that the Nazgul are out there. And then we see the Nazgul chasing Arwen as she's carrying Frodo. They get to the fort of Bruinen. And the Nazgul are up on one side of the bank, and Arwen's on the other side. And she says, you know, and they say, give up the halfling she-elf. And she says, if you want him, come and claim him. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. And they start across. She calls up the power of the river, washes the Nazgul down the river, falls onto the bank. Frodo's failing, and she says... She asks the powers, the angelic powers, the Valar, what grace has given me, let it pass to him. <clears throat> and I was hooked. Here was everything that embodied what was good and wonderful and noble. Here was everything that I thought, you know, this is what, I don't know what Christians are supposed to be like, but elves are really cool. And they seem to embody what is best and noblest in humans. And, uh, at the time, I didn't have any books on C.S. Lewis or, um, no, I mean on J.R. Tolkien. I was familiar with C.S. Lewis from um, <clears throat> my uh, Christian involvement. Uh, and so I went home and I found this little book, the C.S. Lewis Encyclopedia, which I've loved. And I read the section on J.R.R. Tolkien and became very intrigued. I know it will sound rather strange, but I do actually believe that what happened with me, with the Lord of the Rings and with reading J.R. Tolkien's works was I had, J.R. Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis mentioned that he had had a baptism of his imagination through reading the works of George MacDonald, uh, the author of Fantasties and Lilith and others. Um, and I felt like that's what happened to me. Up until that point, I had been a nonfiction snob, kind of. I just read nonfiction, thank you very much. Uh, I liked things like Star Wars, I liked, you know, The Matrix, and I liked science fiction, but I didn't read any, and, you know, um, I didn't really get it about the power of a story. And with The Lord of the Rings, I got it about archetypes, the archetypal journey, about the power of a story. And um, so I, my very first kind of introduction through to J.R. Tolkien was through this encyclopedia, of C.S. Lewis that was written by Colin Durius, who also wrote a wonderful guide to J.R. Tolkien called uh, um, J.R. Tolkien, A Guide to Middle-Earth. So I'm going to share a little bit about, uh, just from this, it gives you a little bit of the connection between J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. It says here, Tolkien's lifelong study and teaching of languages was the spring and nourishment of his imaginative creations, just as science fiction writers generally make use of plausible technological inventions and possibilities, Tolkien has used his deep and expert knowledge of language in his fantasies. He created in his youth two forms of the elvish tongue, starting a process that led to a history and geography to surround these languages and peoples to speak them, and other tongues. He explains, I quote, 
<clears throat> I had to posit a basic and phonetic structure of primitive Elvish, and then modify this by a series of changes, such as actually do occur in known languages, so that the two end results would have a consistent structure and character, but be quite different. The imaginative possibilities of an invented language were also explored by his friend C.S. Lewis, under his influence. Lewis acknowledges a great debt, especially to Tolkien's idea of subcreation. Lewis makes use of the possibilities of his own imagined language, Old Solar, in Out of the Silent Planet and its sequels. The debt was mutual. It is unlikely that Tolkien would have completed The Lord of the Rings for publication without Lewis's fervent encouragement. After the Great War, Tolkien began university teaching. After a few, year, few years, he moved to Oxford to become Rawlings' son, Rawlings son and Bosworth professor, professor of Anglo-Saxon. This was in 1926. It was in this year that he met C.S. Lewis. Their long friendship was soon to begin. Lewis had then been in an English don at Magdalen College for one year. They met at the English faculty meeting on May 11, 1926, and Lewis was not amused, recording in his diary, quote, He is a smooth, pale, fluent little chap. Can't read Spencer because of the forms. Thinks language is the real thing in the English school. Thinks all literature is written for the amusement of men between 30 and 40. We ought to vote ourselves out of existence if we are honest. No harm in him only needs a smack or two. <laughs> End quote. Any initial antipathy, however, was soon forgotten. Within a year or so, they were meeting in each other's rooms and talking far into the night. These conversations proved crucial both for the two men's writings and for Lewis's conversion to Christianity. As the Ulsterman Lewis remarked in Surprised by Joy, friendship with J.R.R. Tolkien marked the breakdown of two old prejudices. At my first coming into the world, I had been, implicitly, warned never to trust a papist, and at my first coming into the English faculty, explicitly, never to trust a philologist. Tolkien was both. A typical note of the time occurs in a letter from C.S. Lewis to his Ulster friend Arthur Greaves in December 1929. Tolkien came back with me to college and sat discoursing of the gods and giants of Asgard for three hours. Tolkien himself regards sharing with Lewis his work on the Silmarillion influencing Lewis's science fiction trilogy. The pattern of their future lives, including the later Inklings, was being formed. Tolkien remembered, quote, In the early days of our association, Jack used to come to my house, and I read aloud to him the Silmarillion so far as it had then gone, including a very long poem, Berin and Luthien, which... I believe appears in um, The Lord of the Rings that it is sung by Aragorn. <clears throat> the gist of one of the long conversations between Lewis and Tolkien was fortunately recorded by Lewis in another letter to Arthur Greaves in October 1931. It was a crucial factor, factor in his conversion as he moved from mere theism to Christianity. Tolkien argued that human stories tend to fall into certain patterns and can embody myth. In the Christian Gospels, there are all the best elements of good stories, including fairy stories, with the astounding additional factor that everything is also true in the actual primary world. The Bible combines mythic and historical factual truth 
with no divorce between the two. C.S. Lewis's conversion deepened the friendship. And again, uh, we will be seeing, um, coming up at the Barclay Theater, C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, which is one of his great works, uh, which I have here today, and want to read to you a little bit from the introduction to that. Actually, I think I will save that for the second hour. In, I wanted to read to you a little bit from J.R.R. Tolkien uh, with regard to <clears throat> what he said, actually, relating to what Colin Durias had mentioned. In this is from J.R.R. Tolkien's essay on fairy stories from uh, the Tolkien reader, Tree and Leaf. He says, to many, fantasy, this sub-creative art, which plays strange tricks with the world and all that is in it, combining nouns and redistributing adjectives, has seemed suspect, if not illegitimate. To some, it has seemed at least a childish folly, a thing only for peoples or for persons in their youth. As for its legitimacy, I may say no more than to quote a brief passage from a letter I once wrote to a man who described myth and fairy stories as, quote, lies, and this was, in fact, he was referring to C.S. Lewis. So this was um, a letter that he wrote to C.S. Lewis in the form of a poem. He says, Though to do him justice, he was kind enough and confused enough to call fairy story-making, quote, breathing a lie through silver. And here's Tolkien's letter. Dear Sir, I said, Although now, lo now long estranged, man is not wholly lost nor wholly changed. Disgraced he may be, yet is not dethroned, and keeps the rags of lordship once he owned. Man, sub-creator, the refracted light, through whom is splintered from a single white to many hues and endlessly combined in living shapes that move from mind to mind. Though all the crannies of the world we filled with elves and goblins, though we dared to build gods and their houses out of dark and light, and sowed the seeds of dragons, t'was our right, used or misused. That right has not decayed, we still make by the law in which we're made. And that is an excerpt from the poem Mythopoeia by J.R.R. Tolkien. He goes on to say a little later uh, about the Christian story, I would venture to say that approaching the Christian story... It has been long been my feeling, a joyous feeling, that God redeemed the corrupt-making creatures, men, in a way fitting to this aspect as to others of their strange nature. The Gospels contain a fairy story, or a story of a larger kind which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. They contain many marvels, peculiarly, peculiarly artistic, beautiful, and moving, quote, mythical, in their perfect, self-contained significance, and among the marvels is the greatest and most complete conceivable eucatastrophe. But this story has entered history and the primary world. The desire and aspiration of sub-creation has been raised to the fulfillment of creation. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the Incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy. It has preeminently the, quote, inner consistency of reality. 
There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true, and none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. For the art of it has the, the supremely convincing tone of primary art, that is, of creation. To reject it leads either to sadness or to wrath. And he goes on to say, But this story is supreme, and it is true. Art has been verified. God is the Lord of angels, and of men, and of elves. That's an excerpt from J.R. Tolkien's essay um, on fairy stories, which was an Andrew Lang lecture, and a defense of fantasy for adults, rather than fantasy being meant merely for children. This is KUCI in Irvine. I am Tani Chenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. This is What Would Arwen Do? You can email me at askanelf at yahoo.com. Askanelf at yahoo.com. We will be having a two-part show today, so coming up in just a few minutes at 5 o'clock Pacific time, we will begin part two and include an interview with Max McLean, the star and producer of the stage production of the Screw Tape Letters, which will be here at the Barclay Theater in mid-July. And we will be giving away two tickets to the Saturday night performance. So I hope you'll stay with me the next hour for that interview. And a little, um, we'll actually have as well... Um, a little clip from YouTube that tells um, about Max McLean's, you know, about putting together this production of the Screwtape Letters. So I'm going to play a little music from the Fellowship of the Ring, The because as I mentioned, um, there's only two more shows and then we'll be taking a break for the summer, so I'll, I will miss having the opportunity to share with you the amazing music of Howard Shore. So I'm going to play for you um, a little Hobbit music in honor of the Hobbit movies coming up in December 2012. So we're going to hear from here the Shire and a little bit of Bag End. So little Hobbit music. Hopefully we'll be hearing a lot more with the Hobbit movies. This is KUCI in Irvine, and here is The Shire, music from Howard Shore, the ex complete recordings of The Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> <laughs> 